Welcome to episode 56 of Land the Plane Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to Land the Plane Podcast. My name is Dustin. I'm Jonathan. And we welcome you back to the studio, the the magic... The cockpit. <laughs> sure, we are a plane-named podcast. Why not, Jonathan? This is more roomy than that, though. Yeah, no doubt. Have you ever actually been in the cockpit of a anything that um, flies? Yes. Uh, once a UFO. <laughs> and then once... No, we used to go to like the air shows and stuff like that yeah. where they let you yeah. be in there. I was always what they call a big boned kid, so some of those weren't the most comfortable things to get into. So I don't think I want to try it now. I, I know guys that are, I mean, not any like as tall, you know. I mean, like six foot guys, all that kind of stuff. How in the world they contort themselves to slide down in and around and get? I have no idea. They're skinny. Where we're very muscular. I guess, but I know some that aren't they're like very skinny. super skinny or anything. No, they're weak. <laughs> I'm just teasing everybody. Mm. <laughs> I was just trying to build myself up, okay? okay? You know, some of the ways to do that. You know, we could man. have. I actually, I know a couple of pilots. Ooh, we, you want to go on flight? Can we I actually know three pilots. We can record from the sky. We could record. From, I don't know about that. But we can do, do it, Jonathan. I gotta do we need to figure something out. I need to I need to give we somebody a, a call. We could do a live like um Facebook or something. Yeah. Unless, Shout out to my to my cousin John. He flies for FedEx. Um don't think we're gonna get any We can get thousands of pamphlets <laughs> and just drop them. Just drop them. <laughs> yeah. I know I got another guy that, that flies um C one thirties out of North Little Rock. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it. That back door open? That back door does open. We can jump, bro. Live on Facebook, <laughs> parachute down. One of our, one of our parachutes wouldn't open, and it would be the most popular show ever. <laughs> it's not the fall that kills you; it's a sudden stop at the end. Hey, Jonathan, I just want to say congratulations. Thank you. I just for what? <laughs> well. We've uh we've been doing this series on apologetics and yeah. we've been getting a lot of feedback and we're gonna talk about that in just a little bit. But when I opened up our app for our hosting site, yeah, we got a new badge. It says we've we've done fifty episodes. Yeah. And that was like six episodes ago. It was more than that if you count all the extra stuff we did. Oh yeah, no doubt. But uh, hey, they're keeping up. You know, they're only 10, 12 episodes behind. Yeah. I just want to congratulate you. Yeah, Job we've well done, done. fifty five real episodes and then a bunch of under the radars and yeah yeah but we've been doing this series on apologetics um i think we're what like five episodes into it is that right i have no idea uh, it was sure well five. yeah because it was we 51 started... 52 53 54 55 Thank, thanks for so this is us. number six number six right? going yeah. to number six but we've had a lot of wonderful feedback and we just want to say uh to our listeners out there and to all those people that's Giving it a try for the first time even. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for the great feedback y'all been giving. Um, a lot of people, I even had somebody tell me, 
they were going they listened to one of the episodes once and they were going to go back and listen to it two more times because they really were just trying to grasp what was being said and dose mass and, and soak it in so yeah i mean that stuff's awesome i, I love that and then um just to hearing several people do that and we've heard stories of people sharing it and stuff and so we just want to say a big thank you you know because um we don't spend a lot of time on social media. Don't have the time to spend on social media trying to share it and promote it and do all these things. So word of mouth is huge, and we just really appreciate all the people out there that listen and and tell somebody about it. So thank you yep. for that, and thank you for helping to make this show what it is today, and uh, just really allowing us to have this platform to share it. So yep, thank you. And shout out to uh, those six people in Haiti that apparently listened yes. over the last. 30 days. It is I, fascinating where you see you get downloads yeah. from. Um, my favorite was uh, North Korea, that one that we had. I thought that was yeah. intriguing. Um, I had my own theories, but I just, hey, wherever we can get to, where whoever's listening, thank you. Let's do it. So we're back to apologetics today. We're not going to have a big, long opening. We're not going to tell you stories. We're going to have to wait for that day to come back, but... Uh, we want to be able to jump right into this and get moving and get talking about it because um, Bobby is back. Hey, Bobby. Hi there. <laughs> well, Bobby's excited, you know. <laughs> woo, woo, woo. Turn down your car stereo. Bobby's Sorry on fire. Sorry about that. No. Here I was sitting back in my chair enjoying myself playing with the dog, as usual, and, and was not expecting to be called upon that quickly. <laughs> yeah, Bobby over here entertains himself while we're working. Entertains himself with the dog, gets the dog all fired up, and then the dog attacks us during the show. So if that's what we're, what's happened, it's his fault. Even if I call the dog by the wrong name, she's still, <laughs> she's a lot of fun. She doesn't care. As long as she's getting attention, that's she right. doesn't care. Well, we're sitting here, and Bobby's got three different stacks of notes in front of him. Don't let that intimidate you. Um, he said it shouldn't. Jonathan's over here with the How computer. would that intimidate them? Well, because when I say there's three stacks of paper, they don't know how thick those stacks are. Yeah. Stacks on stacks on stacks. <laughs> But uh, Jonathan's got his laptop over there and his warm cup of coffee, and I have nothing. So we're, we're I mean, right. There's w- coffee in there. Well, no, I got a drink. Uh, well, then you don't have nothing, then. No slurping. <laughs> Can't do the slurp. I didn't slurp. Just, okay. All right. How about the sip from the coffee? Oh, come on. Can you do that? Oh, we're going to do it? Wow. I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> There's I'm for so glad we take ourselves so seriously. You are the most irreverent people, you know. <laughs> hey, Jesus loves us. This yeah. I know. This is true. This or is the true. Bible told me so. <laughs> All right, so that is the lead-in right there. I knew it. Bam. See, I planned it just like that. It's amazing Good segue. how you come up with that. I may not have notes, but I'm on fire. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this thing. We're talking about we have we have been on this long journey, and it's really interesting, especially for those of us in in Arkansas and maybe in West Tennessee, because if you remember, we started out with discussing building a foundation for the bridge. Uh-oh. And <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, I was thinking about it all week. And there's this big crack in the bridge mm-hmm. from from West Memphis into Memphis. And I just remembered I have family coming in from Tennessee next weekend. It's going to be a long trip yeah. over that south bridge. Yeah. I need to call and find Traffic out. Traffic bad got to be another way to go. But anyway, that's not everybody's problem. But they do listen to the show, so P.S. <laughs> the bridge is down. Yeah. 
Yeah, but yeah, I, I you won't really, be able to come across the I forty bridge. You'll be on the I fifty five bridge. Yeah, and it takes a while, and that bridge yeah. feels real rickety because I've had I I lived in Memphis for three years. I'm so sorry, it was, it was interesting. I had a blast. Really, and don't talk bad about it. My daughter's there right now. Yeah, yeah Memphis so, is great. You jerk. I love Memphis. Really? Yes, absolutely. You should explore the rest of Tennessee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Jonathan's from Tennessee. I forgot. Yeah. See. The further east you go in Tennessee, the better it gets. We I'm that sorry. like we that like Memphis make fun of the rest of Tennessee. Well, that's, and the rest of Tennessee <laughs> makes fun of Memphis. Yeah, I was going to say, there's a lot of Tennessee that makes fun. Of oh, Memphis. my my study partner was was from just north of Jackson, and and he would always say, even though he went to grad school in Memphis, he would always say, "We're going to divide Memphis in half, give Mississippi half of it and Arkansas half of it, and all three states would be better." Yeah. Yeah. That was that was how he thought of it. But I I yeah. really did and still do love Memphis. Yeah. For all of you Tennessee listeners out there, I enjoy you all. <laughs> <laughs> but tonight we're talking about the Bible. We've Be we've been through Can You Find Truth? We talked about the universe and its origin. We talked about life and its origin. We spent two episodes all in one night, a very long night for us, and you guys had to stay even longer, um, talking about the existence of evil and pain and suffering and whether that speaks against the existence of God. And and tonight, for the first time, we're really going to dig deep into the Bible. It's history, church history, and, and some of the things that the myths that go on that are absolutely not historical about the Bible. And it gets really interesting when you when you dig into it. I listened to a to a podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually three episodes of a podcast by a Dr. Tim Mackey, and and his doctorate is in is in biblical history, and um, he he talks about the writing and the and the history of the Bible, and it was just really incredible. And and as you as Dustin said, I've I pulled together some notes. Because you just can't seem to stop pulling things in. Yeah. Where this is concerned. It's a lot of fun. But I think the first thing that we have to do when talking about the Bible is just just figure out what it is. Because most of the time when you're talking to Christians or church people and you say, what is the Bible? The answer is... The Word of God. That's the answer. Yeah. And, And yes, for Christians, that is going to be your answer. But there are lots and lots and lots of people out there that don't look at it that way. Is it is what they look at is a book at the first point. So so let's let's describe that just a little bit. What it is? The Bible is a book, but it is a collection of writings by multiple authors that was written over a period of between 600 and 1600 years. And if if you used that definition with basically anyone in the world, whether whether Christian, non-Christian, um, Muslim, Hindu, anyone, they're going to agree with that definition. Mm-hmm. They they're not going to disagree. Now, as a Christian, for the most part, you're going to find that people believe it is the word of God. And, and a little bit smaller number of Christians, not much, but a large number of Christians, but not all, believe that the Bible is inerrant. It is without error in its teaching. And so we're going to try to take apart some of this tonight 
and and obviously you can there there are books written on this subject there are multiple podcasts written on this subject we're just going to try to do it for an hour and and try to dig in a little bit so so i want to ask you guys from the very beginning when when you think of the bible and its writing and where it came from what are what are your first thoughts on that where did it come from i believe that it is from god okay that he told men and women what to write and uh Maybe not every single little letter, but um, using their, you know, because you can see different, um, like different feels to books. Um, and even, I mean, some books are poetry, some books are, you know, just basic facts, you know, and, and all those kind of things. Uh, so there's all kinds of different literature within the Bible, but I think it all has its origin with God. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've always, it's, it's a great um, teaching book, you know, it's a great sto- story book, and when I say story, I don't mean made up stories, don't misinterpret that, but like, it, it tells stories, it, it um, shares truths, I mean, it's almost like a, it's a collection of people's relationship with God. Okay. I mean, that's one way I've kind of always described it and interpreted it. Like, okay. It, it includes historical Mm-hmm. biographical, apocalyptic, prophetic, and poetic, among other genre. Those are the primaries. And so it is It is an extraordinarily diverse collection of writings. Mm-hmm. And, and it was written, we believe, originally. There's some discussion back and forth on some of the the books, the writings, and what language they were written in. Some people agree and disagree, and we'll get into a tiny bit of that because I think there's some in, some interesting stuff in there when you get to the New Testament. But primarily in Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek. Mm-hmm. Those, those are the general languages that we understand the original was written in. Now, do we have any of the original writings? Yes. No. No? No. Oh, the original original, original okay, manuscript. Yeah, the you. original autographs is what they call those. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't. I don't even know how you would know if it is the original if you found it. Um, one you know way I mean? that you would know is that you could probably date that writing to somewhere closer in time mm-hmm. to when it was written. And so, let's talk about a little bit about how. And the reason that I say that is because of of how it was passed down, how it was copied, all those kind of things. Are we going to get into some Absolutely. of that? Yeah. Absolutely, that's because I think you have to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There, there are so many myths and stories about there. About, and, and my favorite that I look at, I, I actually spent about an hour and a half yesterday just, just reading skeptic, skeptical writings on the history of the Bible yesterday. And and I remember reading one, and it was it was a guy with a PhD. Not mm-hmm. not going to throw names or, he can or universities pilot higher out here. And deeper, he can pilot, high, and he did. <laughs> he he stated that the oldest manuscripts that we have out there are from the fourth century. That the biblical canon was not determined until the year three fifty A.D. or B.C.E., whichever version of that you prefer, mm-hmm. and and that it was decided at one of one or more of the church councils which is absolutely non-historical. 
It, it does not fit with what we know in history in any way. And we're going to dig into some of that tonight. Because I think it's important, if, if you're out and you're sharing your faith and you're talking to people who are, who are actually unbelievers, guys, listeners, what you need to understand is there's a lot of atheists out there that might know more about the Bible than you do. Oh, definitely. And, and they're going to pick it apart. And, and we are commanded, demanded in that book to study there's, there's multiple places where, where it says study so that you know this word, so that you have an answer, so that you can answer things for yourself, so that you can test things that you were taught. And, and my favorite part of it that I've learned since I've, since I've gone on this journey is the Bible actually challenges us. Check, check me for truth. God says, test me for truth. He, and, and Paul comes out... And, and just flatly says it, and we're going to get into this. This is how we're going to finish up this whole series, is, is Paul comes out and says, guys, if, if Jesus isn't resurrected, quit. Stop the faith. We're done. Go home. If that is not a historical fact that you can feel comfortable with, our faith is worthless. It's just not true. And so the entirety of Christianity is founded upon it being historical truth. And and more than anything else, that one fact, that resurrection of Jesus, being historical truth. And if that fact is not true, then then all we're talking about here is a philosophy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And and I don't believe that the evidence shows that's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So so how how did we get here? Well the the history and, and I hope, again, I'm, I'm not going to be able to share and we're not going to be able to share everything about the history of the Bible. We hope we lead you guys on, on kind of a journey mm-hmm. to go and, and learn these things for yourself. But um, historically, it has been understood that there were certain people that, that books are named for that authored those books in general. Now, if you dig a little bit deeper, you can see that some of them had been added to, edited, um, such as it is, it is traditional in the Jewish faith that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, mm-hmm. and that's all we talk about. Well, there's there's a little problem with that at the end of the fifth book, Deuteronomy, because there's a chapter that talks about Moses being dead and buried. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm assuming that Moses didn't talk about his his tomb not being known where it was by other people. Right. All right, and and so we know that there's some. Some things that are edited. We think about the book of Proverbs being written by Solomon. But if you just look at it, you see that there are other Proverbs from other people, some of whom we don't even know who they are, but they're named. We, we like just don't have... Psalms as well. And, and the same with we, Psalms. We think, oh, David wrote Psalms. Well... He did write a lot no, of them. But he wrote a lot of them, them, but it is yeah. a collection. Yeah. And, and what you'll understand, this, this is not something that's scandalous. Mm-hmm. Okay, people want to make these things into scandal. Well, Moses didn't write it; he couldn't have written about it. Well, it's right there. We understand that. Those are things that the Bible is very clear with. Um, one of the interesting notes that I'll point out is in the original Greek that we have of of the letters of First and Second Peter. A lot of people believe that Peter probably was not educated enough to write in as high of a Greek language as, as these books are written. Hmm. 
So, so that's the argument that Peter wasn't the author. Well, the problem with that is Peter talks about having a scribe help him to write them in the books. And so if, if you just dig in just a little bit into these, in, into the authorship, and about whom things were authored, then, then you understand that the Bible actually, as opposed to these being scandals, we learn a lot about the historicity of authorship from the writers themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we know that we have the, the writings, or, or at least as close to the writings as we can get, without having the original, what, what is known as the autographs, those are the original writings of the people, as, as we can get. And so that's where you get into manuscript evidence, okay? And, and folks, just for educational purposes, a manuscript in this, in this arena is described as a handwritten copy, an ancient handwritten copy of a writing. Those are called manuscripts. And, and some manuscripts we have are full manuscripts of earlier writings and some are just fragments. There's the oldest New Testament fragment, excuse me, the oldest New Testament fragment is, is a piece of the book of John. And it dates back to approximately, it's called the John Rylands fragment, it's P52, is how they identify it. It dates to approximately the year 125. Hmm. It's, it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly old. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't really have everything cataloged, and I'm not going to go terribly deep into this, but to explain to you just how much information we have that is used to make sure we get back to the original Bible, the, the closest book from, from ancient history that we have that has a large number of manuscripts is the Iliad by Homer. Anybody remember reading that in high school? Mm-hmm. Maybe. Okay, there are several hundred, maybe even as many as two thousand copies. I, I don't think it's that many. I can't remember. I did not put that in my notes of of Homer's Iliad. Jonathan, you got a computer there. You may be able to tell me before I finish talking about it. But but those manuscripts date from approximately a thousand years or later after the original writing. And so that's what people over call over a thousand. Over a thousand manuscripts and they date from approximately a thousand years after the writing and that's what people who are called textual critics utilize to be able to go back to the original writing because these manuscripts do not come from just one place like hang on hang on sorry i spoke too early a thousand manuscripts of homer's works exist okay 600 300 300 of the iliad okay yeah um and, and I'm about to get into the Bible after I talk about this real briefly because you're just going to see what a difference it makes. Um, they, they will research those manuscripts and try to determine what was in the original by virtue of them being from different geographical locations. And, and the variants, variant means a different spelling, a different word, a multiple word. You know, sometimes somebody handwriting something word by word is going to say the same word twice or maybe write the same line twice. And, and so they will mess something up, but they feel like they have gotten back to, and we all read in high school, Homer's Iliad. So you heard how many there was of the Iliad. Just for the New Testament, just for the New Testament, 
in only Greek, there are over 5,000 manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Over 5,000. Just in Greek. Yeah. Now, if you add the other languages, Coptic, um, Latin, um, there, there are multiple, like Syriac, Sumerian, um, different languages from back then, it goes over 25,000 handwritten manuscripts of the New Testament alone. Yeah. Now, now, if you stack... And it's not like we had a printing press. No, they, this is all before printing presses. Yeah. Handwritten All word these were word. handwritten. Now, the dates, we talked about the Iliad being about a thousand years later, and I told you that, that the, um, the John Rylands fragment, which is about the size of a business card, has several verses of John for, on each side of it. Is from 125, and and most believe that the book of John was written somewhere in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's when most would. So it's within 35 years. There are multiple manuscripts that date from the second and third centuries. Multiple. Okay, there's not a lot because a lot of the paper that was used back then, especially in the first century, was something called papyrus. Mm-hmm. Papyrus was made from a plant that came from Egypt, and, and it would basically just fall apart after a time. Mm-hmm. Now, some of it is, is put on animal skins and things like that, and those lasted longer. So those are the kinds of things you find of the New Testament. What about the Old Testament? The, the Old Testament, we, we have not quite as great a wealth of information that dates as far back, but we have some incredible information. Manuscript evidence numbers are, are large of it. In fact, if you stacked all the Old and New Testament manuscripts on top of each other, they would go two and a half miles high. <laughs> Literally two and a half miles high. Big stack. It's a big stack. Um, but but the, the Old Testament manuscripts that they utilize, and some, some of the fun stuff of learning this, are the stories that go behind them. One of the, one of the stories in finding one of the oldest Old Testament manuscripts was that there was a guy named Tischendorf was, was traveling around monasteries looking for, for ancient things, and he noticed in a wastebasket what looked to him like an old manuscript. And, and he got the monk to pull some of those pages out, and he realized what he had found. And they were using this manuscript that dated from a from thousand years ago to burn fires with. Wow. And, and he was Just able... Just imagine how many they had burned already. Yes, he was able to... That's, that's the question. We yeah. don't know. But he was able to salvage a lot of that manuscript eventually. And when he finally got to go back to the monastery and spend, spend some time with that manuscript, he was, he was just so taken aback because he said it, he spent all night studying it because he said it would have been sacrilegious to sleep with what, how precious a thing he had in his hands. Yeah. Wow. And, and so we have, we have manuscripts from, from various places that date... F- Anywhere from from the mid, you know, from from 300 and on of the Old Testament until about 1947. 1947 was an incredible, incredible find. 
that's that's when a, a shepherd boy was watching his flocks by day this time I think, <laughs> and and heard some pottery break when he and a buddy were throwing rocks. Went up to look at the pottery and found some old scrolls in in some caves in the Qumran community around the Dead Sea. Dead Sea scrolls. And we have the Dead Sea scrolls, that's and right. we have these amazing finds. Uh, one of which was a full copy, a full copy of the book of Isaiah written in Hebrew. Wow. Okay. And, and this, this copy of, of the book of Isaiah dates back to somewhere between 150 and 250 BC. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so there are skeptics out there that were arguing before that time. And, and I will tell you, if you go look, a lot of the skepticism with regard to the history of the Bible and the writing of the Bible didn't even begin. They didn't start trying to raise these questions until the 18-1900s what they referred to as the Enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's real interesting because they they called themselves enlightened and thinkers, and, and yet when we start looking back at the history they tried to create, the evidence just doesn't back them up a whole lot, in, in my beliefs. Um, but we have, from that, we have every book of the Bible was found in amongst the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Old Testament except for the book of Esther. And there were a lot of quotes in the other writings that were found that um, from Esther. So we have have parts of not full full manuscripts, but parts of every book of the Old Testament with really good, significant finds of scrolls of both Isaiah and the Psalms. They were incredible, dating back a thousand years older than anything they had prior to that time. Wow! So it was an incredible thing. Um, then one of, one of my favorite things that I learned about the Old Testament was that there was a huge argument that, that people had started because they began with the thought process that prophecy and miracles and those things could not be real, okay? Mm-hmm. So where a lot of things were predicted in the Old Testament and, and occurred around the year 400 to 450 B.C., so they began dating the entirety of the Old Testament to 400 to 450 B.C. at the, at the latest, earliest, rather. Mm-hmm. Okay? Then, then they ran into a little problem, a little thing called archaeology. And archaeology found what, what they refer to as the Silver Scrolls. And they are amulets that date from approximately 650 to 750 B.C., that have quotes from the Old Testament. Wow. So they now put the dating of the Bible back two to three hundred years prior to what these skeptics were arguing it could possibly be. Hmm. I mean, it's it's incredible. That's just some of the history that you find mm-hmm. with regard to the manuscript evidence. And and what's what's really fun about it is is you learn just how they put together the Bibles that we have today. And, and they will take these manuscripts, uh, and, and I really want to focus more on the New Testament than the Old. We'll, we'll talk about a little bit about the New Testament, I mean the Old Testament some more when we talk about how the canon or the, the list of books were put together. But, but with regard to the manuscripts, we'll, we'll spend more, a little bit more time on the New Testament. But they take these manuscripts that were, were written in Palestine, in Egypt, in Syria, in what we now know as Turkey, 
in Greece, in Rome, and, and in all those various places, they have manuscripts from different dates and times from those places. And guys, you got to remember, they weren't faxing things. Yeah. And, and they weren't um, really mailing things back then. They had to hand copy and carry something months and months and sometimes years to get them to a different location. And so when they, when they, you'll hear people talk about variants in the manuscripts of the New Testament. And that is important because many of those manuscripts do have multiple writing errors, word errors, and things like that. There are literally hundreds of thousands of errors when you add up all the errors in the manuscripts, okay? But the, the great story that you find when you, the great lesson that you learn is that not a single one of those errors affects any Christian doctrine whatsoever. Period. And, you know, and most, most, if not almost, like basically all of those, like when you, you know, if you pull together, you know, let's make a small number, 50 copies, mm-hmm. like 50 different manuscripts of the same set of verses. And you start going through and it's like, wait, this one's got a, you know, a word missing here or yes. a word doubled or a verse doubled. And then you look at 40 others and that word is not there. Then, right. then you're, what you get from that is we're not, we're going to say that one has an error. So we're going to go by this, you know, this multitude of others and say, that word wasn't supposed to be there. That and let, was an error in human writing. When you do some really easy math, okay? It needs to be easy. It, uh, this, this would be pretty easy. So, so let's look at this. There's, there's some writers that the Christian writers out there will make things pretty simplistic for us sometimes. They, one of them said something like, let's say there are 500,000 errors in all the manuscripts combined. Then, then we look at that and we say there's 25,000 manuscripts of, of these writings. So what we're talking about is 20, 20 errors per manuscript. That's not a lot when you're handwriting something. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It, it, so... When, when you talk about the big numbers of all these errors, there are more errors than there are words in the New Testament. Sure there are, but they're spread out in so many different things. Now, now are some of them more significant than others? Absolutely. If, if you will, I don't know, if you guys, I, I use a study Bible, mm-hmm. okay? And, and my study Bible's pretty thick. It's hardcover. Um, it... it pretty well gets a beating it gets written in and and everything else but it's got extensive footnotes and and i will tell everybody that's listening do not ignore footnotes and and the like in your bible because just pretty much every somewhat significant error that that textual critics have found in your bible has now been footnoted there there are things that that don't know if you want to talk about them or not. We can pretty easily. Um, there, there are things that bother some people. <coughs> the, the last several verses of the book of Mark are, are not in the oldest manuscripts. Mm-hmm. 
But if you will look in a modern day Bible, that's marked very clearly. Yeah. Very clearly, they don't hide it. It's that's what I'm I'm telling you. Things about and in the Bible are not hidden. They're wide open if you just take a look at it. Um, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament is not in the oldest and best manuscripts. You know, the one where they bring the woman caught in adultery to Jesus and he kneels down and he writes in the dirt and he says, he who is without the sin cast the first stone. That's not in the oldest and best manuscripts. Mm-hmm. There are some that believe that is probably likely a true story. But I think that's just an arguable point. Does it fit in with the doctrine and the teachings that are in the rest of the New Testament? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's made very clear. And so that's the kinds of things that you're talking about. The end of Mark that's not in the oldest manuscripts is, is finding the empty tomb. That's confirmed in other places. Mm-hmm. So the, these errors that we're finding, these variants that we're finding, that not we, because I'm not one of the people finding, I don't read Hebrew or Greek. Or, yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Although it'd be incredible to yeah. do. They're still finding manuscripts in caves out there. But um, guys, it's, it's an amazing thing. That that they these these critics these these guys that that do the research that have an amazing amount of education believe that we have like ninety nine point six percent accuracy with the original manuscripts with the original autographs of the books. I mean, we I think we kind of have to say as far as how accurate it is based on what was first written is at least as accurate as we can possibly say the Iliad is. Oh, it's way, way, way I beyond mean, you that know, in certain and I, let's, like, let's step back a little bit and, and bring this into like 21st century, you know, whatever. Um, this would be like me writing a letter to someone and then sending it to someone. Whoever gets it, they would make a Xerox copy of it or something yep. or, hand, you know, let's go with handwriting. Let, they handwrite it out and then they send out like two copies of it and then it gets somewhere else and they make a couple of copies of it and send it out. And then they make a couple of copies of it and send it out up to, you know, a thousand different copies yep. floating around. And are there going to be some letters left out? I mean, if a, a letter gets smudged. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it, we're not talking about ink and paper here. Well, and, and you've got like to remember. we have nowadays. You've got to remember, the old Hebrew writing did not have vowels. Right. The vowels were not added into the Hebrew writing until a group called the Masoretes in, in the early A.D. period modified the Hebrew language to include vowels to make it more readable. We do have a Masoretic text from from well over a thousand years ago that that is utilized by by scholars, but prior to that, the stuff the this Hebrew scroll from the Dead Sea Scrolls of the Book of Isaiah, there are no vowels in it. Mm-hmm. There are none because it's just that was the language. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Um, so if someone so I, I send that letter and it gets caught and it's a thousand different copies of it out there. Then 
if you got them all together and looked through them, I mean, there's, there's not, this isn't like, because an argument that, that someone may have, you know, we've all played the game, you know, where you have a long line of people. Telephone. And telephone, yeah. Yeah. And you say something to one person, they say it to the next person, they say it to the next person, they say it to the next person. And you get to the very end, and it has, it's totally different than the first thing you said. Sure. It, it's not that, because we're at the point of making copies and all that, we can compare. Right. You know, it's not like we just have one and it's been passed down and copy, you know, all those kind of things 500 times or a thousand times. Now we can take all of these different copies that we're finding, compare them and see, okay, they line up. They're the same. And the huge difference between the telephone game and what we're talking about here is in telephone, you intentionally whisper, speak quickly so that it gets garbled and by the end, it becomes something really funny. Mm-hmm. In this, we're talking about people who were intentionally trying to um, transmit something because they were of the belief that it was the Word of God. And it was their very... I mean, they're scribes. Scribes. I they mean, were, they were was, trained in this. Yes, they were trained to do that. That was their livelihood. Yeah, that was absolutely. That was what they did. Absolutely. And, and it's one, one thing that has, has helped me in understanding it even better. Um, I was not aware until I started studying this that we still have a lot of writings as, from what are referred to as the early church fathers. And, and the ones that personally I believe are the most important. The, the skeptics out there believe that the New Testament canon was put together beginning at the Council of Nicaea in 324 A.D. And, and we have a lot of writings from early church fathers pre-324 A.D. In fact, we have writings from early church fathers dating back into the first century. This, this guy named Clement, who if you'll, uh, those of you who may be watching and want to confirm what I'm saying, look at Philippians 4.3 and you'll see a mention of a fellow named Clement. And, and many believe that this is the same Clement who is the bishop or pastor of the Church of Rome from 88 to 99. We have some of Clement's writings and, and he and, and Polycarp, who was first century, and Ignatius, who was first century, many of their writings, we have church fathers who, who between 100 and 324 quoted the books of the New Testament, Testament more than 36,000 times. Every verse of the New Testament is quoted by one of the early church fathers except for 11 verses. We could literally reconstruct the New Testament if we didn't have any of the manuscripts. Well, I, I heard that one before. <laughs> it's an amazing number. It's, yeah. it's incredible. But, yeah. but those... And that just shows how... I, I mean, if you, if you want to try to say that the Bible that we have now is not very, very, very accurate to the original manuscripts. You just don't, like, nothing 
like you don't have a leg to stand on. If you're going to say that, then you might as well say that that most books that we have that were written, that you know, hundreds and right. hundreds and thousands of years ago, are are not. I mean, you might as well say they are not correct at all. Exactly. And and to be completely fair, are there are there scholars that believe that there are too many variants, too many additions, too many changes? to those manuscripts to feel comfortable with it. One of the, probably the leading scholar that feels that way is a guy by the name of Bart Ehrman. Okay, Ehrman, Ehrman is a professor at, uh, Dr. Ehrman is a professor at the University of North Carolina, and, and without question, he is a far greater scholar than I. His, his primary teacher was a fellow by the name of Bruce Metzger, who, who was probably the foremost textual critic in the history of mankind having to do with the Bible. Um, but where Metzger was a very strong Christian, Ehrman has become an agnostic. And and he just believes that there are too many errors. But in all honesty, and, and again, I'm not... I recognize that Ehrman is a whole lot smarter and more studied than I am. But I spent one Saturday basically doing nothing but sitting and listening after studying this stuff, sitting and listening to Bart Ehrman on YouTube, lectures and debates and, and interviews and things like that, after studying and, and coming to my understanding of history, listening to Dr. Ehrman made me feel stronger in my faith because I felt like his, his issues with it were answered. Now, now, Again, I'm not saying that I'm smarter than he is because I'm not. But in in my mind, when when I look at the same issues as as an attorney, as a person, and and as a person who wants to follow something that's true, then then I believe we have as close as you can possibly get to the original manuscripts, mm-hmm. and and it's a a pretty incredible thing. And so that's that's the first piece of is is the Bible a valid proof of of Christianity. The second piece is how do we get these books? And why don't we use some of the other stuff? Why don't we use the Gospel of Thomas? Why don't we use the Gospel of Mary? Why don't we use the Gospel of Judas? Why don't we use the Shepherd of Hermas? Why don't we use the Didache? Why don't we, I could go on and on and on and on with different things that were written out there that, that some scholars, again, you, you probably heard of the Jesus they, seminar. They also talked about Jesus. Yeah, they talk about Jesus. Yeah. And, and they talk about the, the Christian faith and they talk about things. And, and so why do we not have these different books as part of our New Testament? That's, that's the question, and, and with the Old Testament, there are books, there are several books known as the Apocrypha, which some Christian denominations would include in their Bible, mm-hmm. and, and I will tell you, many of the early church fathers that we're talking about quoted from the Apocrypha, okay? So that's, that's an issue that Christians need to look at and understand. With regard to the Old Testament, to, to me it is a fairly simple answer. 
in in my belief, what we're trying to achieve is is the purest, most unadulterated form of our faith that we can get to. And so we believe that the Christian faith began from the Jewish faith. It it spawned when God called Abraham mm-hmm. and and came from there and the writings that came from, from that era up to today. So when we look at the Old Testament, the the Old Testament canon that we use in most of our Reformation Old Testaments uh, do not include the Apocrypha because they are not included in the Jewish Bible, the Tanakh. Mm-hmm. Okay? If that makes sense. So what we're trying to do with that is is have as pure a description and and a book regarding the Jewish part of the Christian history as can be determined. All right? And so the Jews, Jesus and others did not use the apocryphal books and in fact you will not find while while there are many Old Testament quotes in the New Testament you will not find any quotations from any of the apocrypha in the New Testament. The Jews did not use it. Mm-hmm. It began being used later in the first century by some of the first century, and we're, and we're talking about writings that occurred generally between the year 400 B.C. and, and 100 A.D., mm-hmm. generally. Okay, there are some that are outside of that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how we describe and, and utilize the Old Testament canon or list of books. But the New Testament is a lot more fun. Because we have all these books and all these movies out there that that have you thinking differently about the New Testament, right? Tom Hanks, you know, are are y'all with me? Oh yeah, Da Vinci Code. Yeah, the Da Vinci Code, and his sequel, Angels and Demons. Angels and Demons. <laughs> Neither of which I've ever seen. I hate to tell you that. I, uh, so I'm not going to critique the movies since I haven't seen them. But but they would they would tout the theory that the, the New Testament canon came about through, through a political process at the church councils in the 4th century. 324, 350, all in that era. However, we have this little problem that prior to that era, again, guess what we have the writings of? The early church fathers. Okay? And guess what books they quote from? Anybody? The ones, the ones that they ended up with in it's, the New Testament. <laughs> it's pretty simple. It's not a trick question. It's not a scandalous story. We've even got a, a guy named Origen, who was one of the church fathers, wrote a list in 250, and guess what books he put in his list? The ones that we have now. Same answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Take New Testament for 200. <laughs> <laughs> and so... It, it wasn't so much, I love the way Josh McDowell says it, it wasn't so much that the church voted on what they considered canonical. It was that they looked at what had been considered canonical the whole time. Mm-hmm. What books the apostles and, and those who traveled with the apostles had actually written. You'll even find some 1st century, 2nd century writing. We, we talked about the authorship question. You'll find church 1st and 2nd century writings, and 
they attest to the authors of these books. Mm-hmm. There's, there's even a writing, I believe it was by Clement, who described why the book of Mark was written. Peter had left. Mark, Mark was with Peter in Rome. Peter had left. And, and some of the people that were new Christians wanted to learn more about Peter's teaching, so Mark wrote it down. That's what you find in these early church writings. And the beginning of Luke tells us why he wrote it. The beginning of Luke tells us why he wrote it. He wrote John it to a person. Wrote it to basically saying this from all of my study and from all of my eyewitness tests, you know, mm-hmm. like people that I've interviewed, this is like, th- this is what I believe happened. Here you go. And and Luke and Acts, now you got to remember, we, we believe that Luke and Acts were written by the same person. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, and those of us who are, are pretty simplistic in this believe that a guy named Luke wrote them, just well, like thought, just like history Acts. tells us. I thought it was Acts. <laughs> and and if you if you look at his writing, he's he's really spectacular at certain things. He's he's amazing at at mentioning place names. He's amazing at mentioning people. He's amazing at using titles for people. And, and using different, specific, very specific... They even landed on an island where the leader of the island, he refers to them as chief man. Okay? Now, that's kind of a weird thing to call someone, chief man. Guess what they later found when they're digging up things on this island? They found that the leader of the island at that time was called chief man. They didn't believe that certain officials existed until archaeology. There have been over a hundred points in Luke and Acts that archaeologically have been verified that skeptics didn't believe he was right about. And one fun little thing that I never thought about with Luke, if you read through his book, especially the, the book of Luke itself, the gospel, you'll see that a lot of the stories that he tells the birth story and and things like that, they're kind of written from the narrative version of the women, from their perspective. Hmm. You know, with with the birth version in Luke, it's primarily written from Mary's perspective. And so there... I mean, if you're going to find somebody to interview... You, you interview women. There, there are some. Remember. Well, there are some people that that feel like that he probably interviewed a lot of the women that oh, yeah. were around Jesus to to come up with that perspective. Well, let me. I, I just I want to read the first four verses of okay. Luke. Good. It says many, and that's I think important. Mm-hmm. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty, that's cool, you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. In other words, hey, You've been taught these things. I've done an investigation, you know. And he was a doctor. He was mm-hmm. a physician. So not like, you know, some no nobody. Um, did an investigation. And then I've carefully investigated everything. And I'm going to write down an orderly account for you. And for them to write 
you know, like not everybody wrote, especially some, you know, like a um, an account or a, a, a piece of literature. They just didn't do that very much in those, you know, in those days. And so for them to, to sit down and, and write this out, I mean, even that was a little, because everything is word of mouth. Yeah. You know? And so the, even doing that was a little out of the ordinary. And for, and I had never even kind of noticed that many have taken uh, or undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled. So it just kind of goes to show, it, this was not isolated. No, absolutely you know? not. And, and there are some, generally scholars take that Mark was the first mm-hmm. of the Gospels written. There, there are some, and I think this is actually pretty interesting and, and to me somewhat persuasive. There are a lot of people out there, not a majority, not even close, but that believe Matthew very well could have been the first gospel written and that it may well have been, been written originally in Aramaic. As that's, that's why I mentioned that at the very beginning, because the, the Christian faith began as a movement amongst the Jews. And, and everyone that reads Matthew would agree that Matthew is written more as a proof of Christianity to the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And so, again, one of the early church fathers actually mentions in one of his writings that I was reading that, that Matthew was the first and it was written to the Jewish people in Aramaic. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some interesting stuff there. Again, we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's not something that affects my faith or belief that we have the Bible one way or another, that we have the original um, one way or another. But isn't, it is an interesting point. I think it's interesting, too, that, that for the most part, the New Testament, uh, with, besides possibly Matthew, the New Testament was, was written in Greek. Yes. Which, and not even like... Uppity Greek, but Koan, Except Koan for Peter. Greek. Peter, Except for Peter Peter was kind of uppity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you know anything about Peter, <laughs> that kind of fits with his personality yeah. of, of trying to show so, himself. Sylvanus than... was his ghostwriter, yeah. he says. And and apparently yeah. Sylvanus was pretty bright. Um but it was written in in common Greek. Yes. Koine and, Greek. Yeah. And so which they were all Jews. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were all Jews that wrote the New Testament, uh, except right. for except for probably I believe Luke was a Gentile. Okay, yeah, um, and so you know they were they were talking to Jews, but yet it was written in the common language because I mean we're talking about the Roman Empire here, right? It would have spread been able to spread much more easily in the Greek language yeah. than in, you know, in the Jewish language. So and, and from, I thought that was really From cool. about 300 BC on, throughout the Mediterranean era area, Greek was the primarily spoken language. Yeah. Um, Alexander the Great and, and his group had a lot of effect on that in, in spreading the Hellenistic culture and spreading that Greek language. And it was just something that really went throughout and so it, it had moved into Palestine during that era, and so there were a lot of Greek-speaking people. But for Jews to write it in Greek... Yes. ...must have been a little bit of a, what are you doing that for? <laughs> but, 
you know, God knew what he was doing. Yeah. It's like, if you want, if I'm going to spread this, I'm going to spread it, you know, and, and used the Romans once again. And, and the primary, the largest part of the New Testament was written by Paul. Mm -hmm. And, and we don't have a lot of argument that Paul was a very educated individual. Um, Paul, Paul was pretty high church Jewish. Yeah. I think would be a good way to say it. He, he says it himself. He yeah, says it himself. And in fact, he's, you'll never find anybody that's done it better than I've done. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's pretty impressive. So, um, I, I think we've, we've talked about the, the history of the manuscripts. We've talked about the history of, of the, um, canon. And, um, what do you got to question about it, Dustin? Pressure. No, dum, talk dum, to me. <laughs> One thing I was thinking in is we're talking about some of these other books that are written. These other books are out there, and I even know like um, you have the historian Josephus and stuff who mentions Jesus in his writings as a historical mm-hmm. book. You know, and it, I'm just trying to think. If, I haven't heard of anything out there that truly contradicts that may not be included in the Bible, but may talk about Jesus or may talk from that period of time, or may claim that somebody took it out of the Bible. But I just I've never heard of anything within those writings that contradict anything that the Bible teaches. Anyway, is that I mean is that something that y'all know from of? a historical kind of a standpoint? There, there that are Jesus some, actually existed. Yeah, yeah. there are, there are some interesting writings out there. There's something called the Jewish Talmud that um, is is the Jewish writing for the centuries after the first century, where they're kind of describing it's it's a catechism of sorts. If if listeners are familiar with that phrase um it it explains their faith and and there's all sorts of arguments whether jesus is mentioned in those or not and and it it is what you would expect from the other side of the argument if it is mentioning jesus and it definitely affirms his existence Mm -hmm. um the quran written in the 600s confirms his existence. Josephus confirms his existence. Tacitus, one of the greatest Roman historians, confirms his existence. There there are multiple, multiple attestations to the existence. No no decent historian is going to tell you that Jesus didn't exist. There's some crazy people on the internet, forgive me for that word, but, but to go that much against history, you would have to. Um, one little piece I want to add, and I know we're running real short of time, is is that when when we look at it, how do we know they're telling the truth? How how can we take that these people are telling the truth? And and there are some great writings out there that talk about it. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Gary Habermas. Um, he is has a doctorate and and teaches and collects manuscripts and studies the historicity of the Bible. And um, he he points out some real quick things that I'm that I'm going to talk about just very quickly. Um, early evidence is strongly preferred over later contributions. Mm-hmm. So we know that we have very, very ancient writings that that confirm the belief and the truth of these things. We have, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the in the next segment when we talk about who was Jesus. But um, 
there are a lot of uh, skeptics that would say that the Christian faith evolved and didn't have a high belief in who Jesus was until Paul started contributing things. Paul's letters are from primarily from the 50s and, and early 60s because he died in about 62 AD. But Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's a little creed that, that, is in, that he includes there that he, where he mentions, and a lot of people are going to be familiar with it, but they don't know what it is. It is an actual creed where he mentions Christ coming and dying and rising and having been seen by the apostles and by his brother James and by as many as 500 people. Most scholars, whether they are skeptics or Christians, believe that that creed comes from the early to mid-30s A.D., that was the belief of the church almost immediately upon the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. Something was going on from the witnesses. Okay? Um, and then wasn't Mark, don't they believe Mark was written about 60 or so A.D.? Well, 60 to 80? There, there, yeah, 60 to 80 would be, the, would be the general thought process. I don't mm-hmm. think there's too many people that, would ever that would date it after 80 there's some that would put it as far back as 50s Mm -hmm. there's some that would would put matthew and luke in the 70s um some and and of course acts had to come after luke um which would put acts in the 70s there is a great argument i think that luke and acts and and the other gospels had to have been written before 62 Mm -hmm. the primary characters the primary people written about in Acts are Peter and Paul. Both of them died around the mid-60s. And, and yet, when, when Acts concludes, Paul's alive, although he's in a Roman prison, Peter's alive, and, and Jerusalem and the temple had not been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and I know some people are going to say, well, you're arguing from silence. Well, it's, it's really... If, if I'm writing the history of the United States, am I going to leave World War II out? Yeah. yeah okay? That's, that's it's It's that. It was kind of a big deal. It's it's a big deal. Yeah. And especially the destruction of the temple was especially because it, an incredible I mean, deal. Yeah, and that, I think you would have mentioned it because Jesus himself yes. me, you know, kind of mentions it's that. Especially, and, and that's one point that, that one of the writers made. Matthew is real good in his gospel of saying, okay, here's the prophecy, here's how Jesus fulfilled it, and here's where it happened. Mm -hmm. Here's the prophecy, here's where Jesus fulfilled it, and here's where it happened. But he has Jesus mentioning that the temple's going to be destroyed, but he doesn't mention that, yes, as Jesus said, the temple got destroyed. That would be totally out of character for that that book. And so... In, in my mind, to date those after A.D. 70 is just kind of ludicrous. Mm-hmm. When, when we know the temple was destroyed in A.D. 70, we know that the Jewish-Roman wars were occurring from 66 to 70. There, there are some hints in Mark, um, I believe it's Mark, that, that could date it sometime around the early, mid-60s, mm-hmm. potentially. Um, so those, but, but we, we do feel comfortable and, and the scholars feel comfortable, all of them putting the new Testament at this point in its entirety in the first century during that time frame. There used to be arguments that it, parts of it could have been written in the, in the second, third century and even later, but 
you get a real problem with that when you have the early church fathers writing in the first century and all the manuscript evidence that dates back to mm-hmm. the second and third and fourth centuries. And some people may be thinking, well, why, you know, if Jesus died 30, 33, you know, around in that kind of thing, why in the world would they wait 20 some years to write? You know, well, again, that, well, one, they were living it. Yeah. You know, they, they had a job to do. They had to tell the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not going to waste time writing, you know? Um, and again, writing like that was not, everybody can get a blog now, you know? Yeah. It's no big deal. It, it just wasn't the same then. Well, and think about the simplest explanation, okay? I've, I've, got, I've got people that learned from Jesus and, and who throughout his ministry, and this is one of the things that, that confirmed the authenticity of the scriptures, they weren't afraid to write about being stupid. Yeah. I mean, these guys were kind of stupid at times. They didn't understand a lot of things he said, and they wrote about it. Mm-hmm. If you're going to write fiction, I'm going to write myself as James Bond. <laughs> I'm not going to write myself as Peter and get called Satan. Yeah. <laughs> okay? It's but, especially evident in, in the life of Peter. But these people likely misunderstood when Jesus might come back. Mm-hmm. They're thinking, we're going to go preach for a while, and he's going to come back, and, and we're going to take over the world. Yeah. And, and so as they got older and realized, you know, this is going to be longer than I thought. Let's, let's make a record of this, because through Jewish history, it was important to make that record and pass it down, just like in the Old Testament. These were Jews. Mm-hmm. Remember that. Don't forget the culture it's coming from. These were Jews, and, and they would make a record before they passed it on. Well... In the 30s and 40s, they weren't passing it on yet. They were doing it orally. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes sense that, that once Paul started sending letters in the, in the early 50s, that, that they would start writing these things down and, and sharing their history. And even now, I mean, when do, when do people, you know, write their memoirs? Yeah. When they're done doing what all they're doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, they, they wait till the end of their, you know, toward the end of their life to exactly to write it down. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It's, well, you know, first of all, I just figured they were hopeful. You know, they didn't. They they talked about Jesus coming back soon because they were hopeful he was. Yeah. I mean, they mm-hmm. loved him and they missed him, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But they were passionate about doing what they were doing and hoping that he would come back any day. Just like when you say bye to somebody, you look forward yeah. to the next time you see them. Like you're excited about yeah. that. And then, yeah, they just got a little older and maybe couldn't physically keep up so you write a book <laughs> that that's one thing you know we talked about this at the beginning. i better write this business down <laughs> yeah about the beginning of this is, is sometimes i know this is so valuable for for everybody thinks a little different and the level of value that people find from different things is so important but to me it's like sometimes i'm like okay yeah i got it you know like i i don't need that i don't even need this cool that we have some of those numbers but i'm like it didn't matter to me if he wrote it in 50 or 52 or 68. I'm like, it got wrote <laughs> and it's real. So I'm good. But it's just, but it is fascinating when you dig into it and start uncovering those things. And it, you would think in so many times people expect as they dig into it, it's going to push them away from their faith. Right. Like, well, the more I know, it might start pushing me away. But in reality is the more you know, and as you dig into this, Apologetics. It should More spread you closer, you know, and just yeah. Well, there's there's two big pieces that I think 
that are are very important in this and and i think you as if you're going to profess to be a christian you need to remember this um number one the last thing jesus had to say was share your faith and make disciples that's that's what he said before he left and and the other thing is when when he was asked what the most important thing was he said love god with your heart soul and strength. Wait, was there another word in there? There's supposed to be mind in there. Oh, really? <laughs> and and we too many times as Christians, and, and in all honesty, we were talking just a little bit. Maybe you guys will get into this in a future episode. We were talking a little bit about deconstruction and some people deconstructing their faith. And, and what I'm hearing from a lot of people that I'm listening to is that the deconstructed faith is one that was totally experiential, emotional, and left the mind out. Mm-hmm. Guys, the Christian faith and science are not antagonistic towards each other. They are just not. The Bible challenges you to test it. And, and I think if you really test it and you really look for truth and you go in without preconceived notions, God wins the challenge. Well, I think I want to land the plane today because I got something so off the wall that it's going to be pretty funny. Well, go for it, man. Okay, so I want to land the plane with this. Um, one of the biggest things that that convinces me of... That, that the Bible is one big book by one author instead of, you know, it is a collection of books by many different authors, but there's one overall author, is that, you know, we had um, things that were written by common men, things that were written by smart people, things that were written by women in the Bible, um, which was completely unheard of. Um, all of these. I was going to throw in there. Jonathan's not talking about women. He's talking about a past cultural issue. Yes, I mean that that was not that was not the norm. Um, and so you've got all of these different people spread across thousands of years writing. And if you go look at the Bible, and the more that you learn about it, and the more that you study it, it fits together. The things that Jesus, that, that God talks about uh, in Genesis and laying out the plan comes to fruition in the New Testament. All throughout history, everything works like one big, huge story, like it's one author. And I, I, I know we might lose a fan or two here, but the, I think about um, J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter. If you've ever read that series, you got, you know, books one through, what is it, seven books, I think. Um, There are things in the different books that you, you know, you may read about, just little things dropped here and there throughout that book that don't come back to play for books and books like the seventh book when everything wraps back up together and you start realizing, oh, that's why she did this in book two. Oh, this is in book one. Oh, this is in book four. And it's all together. Why? Because she wrote out the whole story in her head before she ever 
wrote the books, you know, and, and she is the author of all of the books. So it's her story, you know, and it all comes together. Well, you expect that uh, if it's one author, you know, and even man alive, how many movies do you see where the sequel is terrible and like completely kills the first movie or some, and it, you know, they just don't hold on to the storyline, all those kind of things. But if you've got one author, one book series, it can hold together. And the Bible just holds together, even though it's like 66 books, you know, and it, and different authors all over the place spread across time. But yet it all holds together. And I, to me, that's, that is the most convincing thing that it's, one book by one author, and that author is God. Um, and there's there's so many different things that we could go into. And I know next our next um, episode is going to be on on the resurrection, I believe. And that you know some of that will also come into play with the with the validity of the Bible. So anyway, I, I just think um, the more and it, the more that I learn about it, the more that I realize whoa. This is just one big story in one big book. Good stuff, Jonathan. Um, yeah, uh, great show. I, I'm a little lost for words a little bit just because I've heard so much tonight and so much a little a lot of new information for myself because this isn't one area I just dug into a whole lot. So it's exciting. I know you're probably out there and you're probably having questions and you're probably thinking about it the same way I am or 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 whatever wherever you're at with this whole thing. Yeah, but we just really appreciate you tuning in and continuing on this journey for us. Bobby, thank you so much for being so well-prepared and so versed in this and being able to bring uh, this topic to us. Um, and we just appreciate the work you're putting in. And, you know, it's God's work, and he's He's going to reward that. And I'm excited about just the stories we've heard of people uh, listening and, and thinking and sharing and talking about it. And I, and I hope that continues, and I pray that it continues. And uh, we'd love to be in those conversations with you. So if you're out there on social media, I know we're not active, but we do see it. <laughs> so if you send us a message or uh, you respond or even send us an email at landtheplane, uh, today at gmail.com, we will get back with you and get in that discussion with you. So in saying that, I think that's the end of the show. Um, we're gonna go, we've gone on a little bit, so we want to make sure we cut this off and let you back on your day. But I just want to say this um, as my little closing is I know we have people from, from every walk of life that listen to the show, strong believers to maybe even non-believers or somewhere in between. But I would ask, wherever you're at on that spectrum, especially inspired by tonight's episode, when is the last time you took a Bible off the shelf? I'm not talking about even looking up a scripture online, using your computer. I just want to challenge you. When was the last time you took a Bible off the shelf and just opened it up and read even a paragraph, a chapter, just for yourself. Just you, and just see what it's all about. And so I just want to challenge people to do that tonight. I don't know how long it's been since you've done it, but go grab that Bible off the shelf. If you don't have one, go get one. You can find them really If you easy. don't have one, let us know. We'll get you yeah, one. Yeah, we'll, we'll help you out. And uh, But just take a moment. Wherever you're at in that walk, if you do it every day already, just keep on going. But But take that book off the shelf. Give it a dusting if you need to. Open it up, start somewhere, maybe go to New Testament, maybe jump into Luke, Matthew, Mark, somewhere like that, and, and just give it give it a read just for yourself. Don't just listen to us. Uh, listen to God through the Word and just see what it has to say. So that's all I got. I'm going to finish with a joke. 
Well, here we go. You know what color the the best color of Bible is? Red. R E A D. Red. <laughs> I'm sorry. Man, I wished we had already started the music. I'm usually glad y'all tune in this long, but I don't know if I am tonight. <laughs> All right, we're out of here, guys. We'll talk to y'all next time. Thank y'all for listening.